You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Hey guys, how are y'all doing? Man, we're so glad that you are here with us and those online, thank you for tuning in with us. Hey, uh, I am so excited that we get to continue this series called Finding Joy in Everything in the Book of Philippians. Have you guys enjoyed it so far? All right. Well, we're going to continue tonight. I want to just remind you, continue to pray for Matt and Heather. They're still out, but man, just keep praying for them. But I also want to announce this. Our church believes in being set in motion. One of the ways that we do that is we believe in church planting. 11 years ago, the creek was a church plant, right? So one of the ways we do is we invest in other church planters, and I have Shay Wood with me, Pastor Shay Wood. I've known Shay for a little over a year, and uh, he is in the process of his core group being formed. They're planning Mercy Hill Church. They'll be launching in the fall. And it is my privilege to have you preach for us tonight. So he's going to continue in this series. So why don't you give it up for Shay Wood? Thank you. It's been awesome getting to know Judd and Matt and uh, just, just the team here. You guys have an incredible church. You have incredible pastors. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, I don't guess you'd be here if they weren't, would you? But uh, yeah, I'm super pumped to be with you. would love to introduce myself. My name's Shay. I've been married to Robin uh, for seven and a half years. You can see her up here on the screen if we have a picture. And uh, she is just as beautiful inside as she is on the outside. And uh, she doesn't just make me happy, she makes me better. Um, and I could say the same thing for my, my two boys there. We also have a third boy that you don't see in this picture, uh, and that's, that's uh, him right there. So Blaze is the oldest. He's five. Colson is three. Zaid is going to turn one on June 2nd. And so, you know, that's just kind of our life right now. We uh, last year moved to this area. Um, we had Zaid on June 2nd of last year. We moved here May just before then. We wanted to get moved before we had another live baby in our home. Uh, we thought that would be a wise thing to do, as hard as it was. And uh, so we, we got moved up here to plant Mercy Hill Church. We're really excited about it. Had a third kid. I'm, I'm working on some schooling as well at DBU. So we thought, you know what? We're doing enough in life right now, so why not just plant a church, right? Um, and, and then COVID happened. <laughs> so uh, our life has been interesting, to say the least. Uh, we We've had a blast, and yet um, we're in Philippians chapter 3 today, and this chapter is all about confidence in Christ, and it's funny to me that uh, Judd and Matt asked me to preach a sermon on confidence in Christ when I'm a church planner in the middle of a global pandemic, right? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm the guy, but it's, it's been a lot of fun trying to figure out what does this look like? What does it look like to reach people when nobody can see anybody, touch anybody, smell anybody, right? Like, like n- none of those things were an option for all of 2020. And what does it look like to plant a church and to reach people? And, and so uh, I'm, I'm excited just to share. You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, but just before you do, I just want you to know a little bit about my heart and why I'm here um, and, and why... Um, uh, the Creek is partnering with Mercy Hill Church. So grateful for your support, for your partnership. Uh, you've made it possible to pay our mortgage and to put food on, food on our table as we take this step and take this journey. And so I can't tell you how grateful I am. If, if, you're, on, if you're online and you're part of the Creek, I just want you to know you were part of something that is truly uh, incredible that is happening here. Um, our heart is, is to plant a church where we want to echo God's mercy across the world. We just believe that as Christians, as followers of Christ, our lives should reverberate God's mercy and his grace and his love and his character in such a way that it actually makes an impact in the lives of those around us. 
So much so that, that, that it continues to reverberate throughout the world so that lives are changed, people are transformed, people get to know Jesus for the very first time. And as a church planner, I always thought I would end up like Northwest, right? Seattle, Portland, we know how much they need church out there, right? Uh, and, and you think, man, what, why another church in Fort Worth? Why another church here? Don't we have one on every corner? Well, because the goal was never to get a church on every corner. The goal was to get Jesus in every single heart. And, and our footprint is fine if we have churches and buildings here and there, but what, I'm care, what I care about is the fingerprint of God being on every single heart and every single life. So we wanna see Jesus in every home. And that's why we're planting Mercy Hill Church in Fort Worth. We're so excited about God calling us to this area. What I'm really pumped about is, is just getting to get up here and meet incredible people like your pastors um, and other churches where there's just an incredible spirit of, of, of unity, of, of collaboration, of support, and we're on the receiving end today, but I cannot wait to be on the giving end tomorrow uh, as God continues to grow what he is establishing through us. So we're, we're very excited about that. We're gonna be in uh, Philippians chapter three for the next few moments, um, and I gotta tell you, we, we are confident in who God has called us to be as a church, I, and, and I know Matt uh, was too. He, that's why he started this journey 11 years ago and planted this church, and, and there has to be some level of like, I know God has called us to this, but can I just be honest for a minute that I haven't always been confident in what God has called me to. And especially through 2020, there were just some things that, you know, uh, some days, I just, it was just not so much. There were times when my confidence wanes in my calling, in my marriage, in, in my role as a dad, as, as a father. Uh, there were just some times when I just didn't feel like enough. And, and so, um, you know, there are moments when I buy into a lie that God is not as in control as I thought he was. Or he's not as good as I thought he was. Or, or he doesn't care about me as much as I thought he did. There are times when I buy into those lies and, and like a dog at the table waiting for the scraps of the food at the table, these lies in my mind feed on the fear in my heart. And you get, begin to ask questions. You know what I'm talking about because you do this in your life too where you ask questions like, like gosh, what's about to go wrong? I know something is about to go wrong, right? Something is about to happen. And you ask questions like, where, where am I not enough? Like, or you begin to think, I am not enough in this way or that way. Or you begin to ask, will God really come through for me? Is he really hearing my prayers? Because I just feel like they're hitting a ceiling. And we begin to ask these questions because these lies in our mind are stealing the confidence that we had in Christ at one point in time. If you know him, if you're a follower of him. And the other thing about these lies is they're not always just feeding on the fear, but they are never satisfied. See, the, the more you feed the lies, the more they keep coming back with their tails wagging. And this is true in your life, it's true in mine, that the more you feed the lies, the more they keep coming back wanting more. And eventually you realize that you weren't just uh, feeding them the scraps, that they, they were actually uh, eating away at the very confidence you have in the one who saved you in the first place. And there's a pandemic today, not just of COVID-19 or any, anything else that's going on, but there's a pandemic of people walking away from the church, walking away from faith, because the God they thought they believed in once didn't come through in the way they, they thought he should, and so they failed to keep their confidence in him. And so they walk away. So if I have one hope today for you before you leave, it's this, that, that you would walk away knowing that you can be confident in who God is and who he's called you to be in this world. That you would walk away today believing that God actually has a purpose for your life that is bigger than you can even 
plan, think, dream, imagine, and that he wants to make it a reality as long as you will trust him and believe him and know that he is bigger than anything you're going to face in this world. And so the title of today's message comes right from this chapter we're going to read, and, and it is this, Beware of Dog. Beware of Dog. And, and we're going to talk about this. Uh, there's a, there's a, a moment when I was 11 years old. I had a buddy over staying the night at my house, um, as you do when you're 11, right? And, and we had three acres. We lived out in the country in West Texas, uh, really kind of six acres that we could play, play around on. And, and we're running back to the, to the very back acre one day, and all of a sudden, there were all these, these trailers that had moved in behind that, that third acre. And uh, this dog got on the other side of the fence, on our side of the fence, Big old dog, biggest dog I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and he's even bigger when he's coming at you, right? This big old white furry dog barking as loud as he can, running at us as fast as we can. And me and my friend Aaron, man, we just split. We just started running as fast as we could. Now, I was the smart guy, the smart friend, so I climbed the tree, right? He tried to jump over the barbed wire fence, and he got his leg caught up, and he cut his leg up really bad, and I had to jump over the fence and get him out before the dog got to us. And we did not come back on that side of the fence, right? We ran down somebody else's pastor all the way to that front, uh, back to the house where we would be safe and we would not have to face that dog anymore. And, and there was a time uh, just a few weeks later when I thought, you know what, because I wasn't going to go back there again, not while that dog was there, but, but I built up the courage and I got a big old stick and I figured I'm going to walk back there and, and I'm going to tell this dog who's boss. If he comes at me and man, I stood up tall and I held that stick and he barked at me and I looked at him and, and he actually at one point backed down and I realized, you know, hey, I can play in our land again. But Philippians chapter three, verses one through 11, we're, we're gonna see exactly how dangerous these dogs can be sometimes. So I want you to read with me starting in verse one. I wanna read through this whole passage first and then we'll break it down and see what God has for us. It begins like this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We're in a series called Joy, uh, to, talking about joy, finding joy in your life today. And, and as we talk about this relationship between confidence and joy, and we talk about these dogs that we have to be aware of in our lives that will eat away at the confidence we have, uh, I, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, where, where he says, joy itself, considered simply as an event in my own mind, 
turned out to be of no value at all. All the value lay in that of which joy was the desiring. All of us want to be happy. All of us want to experience the pleasure of, of, of an enjoyable life, and yet to find joy is not so much about finding the thing itself. It's not just about the events that happens in your mind, in your heart, in your gut as you feel this experience of, of, of joy or happiness or whatever that feeling might be. It is about the object of your joy. It is about finding it in Jesus Christ himself. And this is why in verse one, Paul says, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. He's not just saying just be happy. No, like Lewis, Paul wasn't saying just be happy. He was pointing us to the object of our deepest happiness. It's so important as we start this discussion that we get off on the right foot and we understand that happiness is not an end in itself. Happiness is the result of our confidence in Christ. It's a result of knowing him personally. It's a result of walking with God. It's a result of trusting him in our daily lives. Like a great love story where, where the pains of the past are washed away by a deeper love, that is the experience of joy in our lives. All of us have hurts. All of us have, have bad habits. All of us have, have mistakes that we've made in the past. All of us have suffered in some way in this life, and yet... All of those things, God has the ability to, to in some way wash away, not just the consequences of it, or not just the, not, not just the, the, the control these habits may have on your life, but, but he can wash away those things, your, your very desire for those things, because you have found a greater love, and it's him. Would you discover a greater love in Jesus today? My first point that I want you to know really is the bottom line of this entire message. And it is this, that our joy in Christ is a result of our confidence in Christ. If you want to know what it looks like to live a life of joy, you're never going to have joy when you don't have confidence, are you? I mean, I mean are, can you truly be happy when you have no confidence that things are going to work out? That the things are going to happen the way you would hope? Like, like you're going to lose some measure of joy, some measure of happiness when you no longer have confidence in the thing that you're trying to find your joy in, right? And so our joy is a result of our confidence in Christ. Philippians chapter three, verse one, he says, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So we're gonna see in the next few minutes uh, that, that Paul is about to say some things that they've heard before. And for the next few minutes, I'm gonna say some things that you have heard before. There's not gonna be anything new if you've read God's word, if you've been to, been to church, if you've heard sermons, if you've heard God's word preached. This isn't going to be anything new to you necessarily. But what is so important that Paul says is, is hey, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. Because guess what? If it's worth repeating, it's worth remembering. And if it's worth remembering, it's worth repeating. So Paul says, hey, it's no trouble for me. And, and I'm telling you today, it's no trouble for me to say some of these things to you because you and I need to hear them again and again and again until we finally truly believe to the point that our confidence in Christ is unshakable. That's the goal. So Philippians chapter three, verse two, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What's he talking about? Well, back in Paul's day, um, look out for, for the dogs. It didn't mean the same thing it means today, right? Like, like if I were to say to you, you dog, right? What, what, what am I doing? I'm talking to another dude about something, right? Like it, it just means to something totally different than it did back then. 
See, back in Paul's day, dogs were mainly scavengers, right? They would eat kind of what's left over on the streets. If you had a pet dog, they would eat what's left over on your table. There were signs common in the Roman day, like, just like today, that would say, beware of dogs. So they kind of guarded the property, guarded the house. And the Jewish people specifically would call Gentiles dogs because they didn't worship the same God they worshiped. They didn't live the same lifestyle that they lived. They didn't have the same values, the same morality, the same type of worship that they had, and so they would call them dogs in a very derogatory way, right? And so Paul is talking about a group of people who these, this group of people wasn't Gentile, they were Jewish. And they were walking into these churches and they were saying, hey, Jesus is great, but in, in addition to Jesus, you also need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law. They were called Judaizers. And so uh, Paul is warning against these people before they ever get to Philippi, saying, hey, if, if these people show up at your doorstep, let me just tell you right now, don't buy what they're selling. They're selling you a bill of goods. And what's so funny to me is that he calls them dogs when they're the ones who would call the rest of the world dogs, because what Paul is very serious about in his ministry and his life, if you read anything he writes in the New Testament, Paul loved to break down barriers between people and God. The last thing Paul wanted was for somebody to put up a barrier between God and somebody who God had died for to break that barrier in the first place. So Paul calls them dogs and says, hey, don't, don't buy what they're selling. They're selling you a bill of goods and they eat the scraps from the table. So Paul says some, some really interesting things here, but he's really pointing out one important thing that if there's anything that ever undermines the gospel, undermines the good news that God can save you, he can change you, he can transform you from the inside out. If you will trust him, if you will walk with him, there's nothing you can add to Jesus, there's nothing you can take away from Jesus. It's always been Jesus, it will always be Jesus. He is the object of our confidence, he is the object of our faith because he is the one who died in our place. He is the one who rose again three days later. He is the one who sent his spirit to indwell your heart and my heart so that we can live confidently in this life for God. And in 2 Peter, it tells us that, that we have everything we need through the Spirit of Christ to live a life of godliness. Paul says, you don't need anything else if you have Christ. Don't add to the gospel. Don't add. Don't undermine the gospel by trying to add to it something that doesn't belong. So these people were walking into these churches, and, and they were removing the confidence that people had in God and encouraging them to place their confidence instead in what it says, their flesh. That is what you and I can do in our own power, in our own strength, with our own bodies. And you think about that today. What are the things today that undermine your confidence and my confidence in Christ? It's probably not following Jewish law. That's just not a thing most of us do, right? Like that's, that's not something we struggle with. Well, I think I better keep the Old Testament and not eat shellfish. No, that's, that's just not our thing, is it? What is our thing? When you think about the way culture speaks to us and, and the way it tries to get us to act and to live and to value and to think, and you hear some of these statements that maybe you've said before, maybe somebody said to you, maybe you've seen it in a TV show or, or something else, or it's been in a relationship you've had, but, but you'll hear things like, you can be whoever you want to be. I heard that as a kid. Let me tell you, I'm not gonna be on Broadway anytime soon. I just, I just don't have what it takes. I can't be anything I want to be, right? But we hear those words. You can be whoever you want to be. Find your truth. Well, I just gotta live my truth. Well, that, then that's not truth. That, that's a preference, that's a feeling, that's an opinion. That's not, by, by definition, that's not truth, right? 
Be your authentic self. You do you. Or in the words of Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec, treat yourself, right? Like, like we hear this message, and, and our confidence in Christ is undermined by the message that the world gives us that, that we can do things on our own, that the life is about us, that our happiness, our joy is found from within by discovering who we really are, and, and that the person that I was when I was born was perfect until the world messed me up, right? That's the message that we hear. And yet in Philippians 3, 3 through 7, Paul is going to attack some of these things and say, no, 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 it's different. Let me show you why. So in verse 3, he says this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What's Paul doing? He's comparing resumes. He says, these guys are showing up at your doorsteps and they're pulling out their resume and telling you all of their qualifications to tell you what to believe and how to believe. Well, let me pull out my resume too. And Paul says, whatever they think they've got, I can one-up them, right? This is not a moment where Paul is being humble and and meek. No, he's saying, no, let let me come at these guys. Let me tell you what this is really worth. Because he says, whatever they think they've got, I can one-up them. I haven't pulled out this resume before with you, but if you want me to, I will. And what does he say about it? He says, whatever was gain, I counted as a loss for Christ. He says, it was rubbish. The old King James said dung, right? Like, like, you know what dung is. I can't say the other word for it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, uh, maybe it was is trash. Uh, another thing that this could mean, and in this context that's really interesting, is that it could mean the scraps off the table. It's the trash that you don't want anymore. So what's Paul saying? What he's saying is, hey, I've got the substance, and it's Christ, I've got the four-course meal, and it's him. All this other stuff, that's just the scraps off the table. I don't even need it. You can feed it to those dogs. They want to worry about the resume, then they can have the resume. I don't need it because I already have what I was looking for, and it's Jesus Christ. But Paul isn't just telling us this to to tell us this about him. He's trying to say, hey, just like I believe, just, just like I have my confidence in Christ and not in any of these accomplishments of my life, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to do the same. So the second point is this, is that even if it's impressive, it's insufficient. I'm sure you've accomplished some cool things in your life. I'm sure you've done some some really incredible things. And I believe God has an incredible dream he wants to awaken in every single one of our hearts. He's got a purpose he wants you to walk out. And it's gonna be so great as you do that, as you step into what he's calling you into for your family, for the kids, the grandkids that you get to pour into and the legacy you get to leave in this world, for the things you get to accomplish. But let me tell you something, all of that is secondary to the relationship that you have with your Savior Jesus. All of that is secondary. It's impressive, but it is insufficient. Paul says, look, I I was blameless when it came to the law. I kept every rule, every jot, every tittle, every mark. I I kept it all. I did not swerve to the left or the right. I stayed on track. And let me tell you something, it was worthless. Because what I needed, Paul says, was, was Jesus. I imagine him going back to the time that he actually received Christ, that he trusted in Jesus because Jesus kind of came at Paul in a pretty crazy way. Paul was a persecutor of the church. 
He was the guy walking into your home, taking you to jail for believing in, in this guy named Jesus, saying, no, you can't do that. That's not how we do things here. And yet, on the road to take other people to jail in another town, he met Jesus, where Jesus shows up in this bright light, and he hears this voice from heaven, and, and Jesus says to him, Paul, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting, because anytime Saul would hurt, um, who was also known as Paul, anytime he would hurt a Christian, he was hurting Jesus himself because Christ is in you, he is in me. And in that moment, Paul's life would be changed. Jesus turned his life upside down and all those things that he was building his resume, all, all those things he was telling, I did this and I did this and I did this and it was all for God. He says, it wasn't really for God, it was for me. I thought it was for God until I realized I was doing it against God and he saved me out of my sin. And so Paul's implicit challenge to all of us is to imitate his faith, to say, hey, believe the way I believed. Give up all that other stuff and trust in Christ. Lose everything to gain Christ. Lose everything to gain Christ. Would you be willing to lose everything if it meant gaining Christ? I just want to let that sink in because that's an easy, easy statement to make. But when you think about the hurt and the suffering that you and I can go through in this life, the tragedy we can experience, the grief that we can walk through, Sometimes the reality of the pain makes that statement a little more than we can bear. But can I just tell you that, that Christ, Jesus, is worth trusting. It's worth losing everything to gain Christ. It's interesting to me just how similar these words of Paul are to the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 16, 25, when Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God doesn't just want to give you better he wants to give you himself. He does not just want to give you better. He wants to give you himself. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing to God, to offer our bodies to God. And in the overarching question today, the, the question that can remove our confidence in Christ in so many ways is the question, who am I? See, back in the 60s, back in the 50s, the question was, am I good enough? Right, it's a question of morality. Today, we've left morality behind. We don't even care about it anymore. The question isn't, is it good or is it bad? Because we don't care. The question is, who am I? And because we've stepped out of that and we've stepped into this new, new age that our life is in, that, that our world is in, we begin asking the question, who am I? And none of us knows who we are. And so we begin to offer our bodies as a sacrifice, but on some other things. Rather than to God, we, we offer them to other things, such as uh, we, we may offer our bodies on the altar of success. We may alter, uh, offer our bodies on the altar of family and put family above God. We may offer our bodies on the altar of our sexual identity and say, maybe this is how I find who I am. And, and there are so many different ways that we can do this, but that what I want you to know is that, that we have not answered the question, who am I, until we can come to Christ and we can trust him and we can understand that it is only when we meet and know our creator and our savior that we can begin to understand who we were actually made to be. So you can't truly know yourself until you know Christ. Paul says, whatever gains were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So to try to find our identity, our happiness, our joy, apart from our creator and savior, really is an exercise in futility. That, that it's, it's something that will never work out. And what, because what God wants for you is so much greater than anything that you could ever want 
for yourself. I hope you believe that today. I hope you know that, that what God wants for you is so much greater than anything you could ever want for yourself, even if it's a good thing. Paul's pulling out this resume of all these accomplishments, all these things he had done. He's comparing it to theirs. And you may have a great resume in your life. You may have tons of happiness. You may have some great things happening for you. And I hope that's the case. I hope you've got some things going for you. But even if it's a good thing, it is insufficient to bring you the measure of lasting, eternal joy and confidence that God offers in Christ Jesus. When you and I discover confidence in God, what it does for us is, is our confidence is anchored in someone who is unchanging and at the same time who is changing us. Rather than us changing ourselves to fit the mold and fit the crowd and, and fall into whatever thing we're trying, trying to fit into, no, 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 instead of doing that, we let God himself, who is unchanging, who's always good, who's always invested in your life, who's always here for you and here with you when you trust in Christ, he is the one who can change us. Following Jesus at the end of the day isn't about a better option. It's about a greater love. And God doesn't just want to give you better. He wants to give you himself. The goal of the gospel, the goal of the good news, the goal of, of this, the goal of being here today is not to get information. It's not to get a great lesson. It's not to, to just get a great teaching or any of those things. It's not information. It's intimacy. It's to know God personally, to walk with him. Paul talks about this beginning in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So knowing Christ is about knowing him personally. Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him personally. It's about knowing him experientially. It's, it's about having an experience with God that, that you actually do know him. Paul says, no, I want to know Christ. Do, do you sense the, the depth of feeling in Paul's life and his heart as he says this? I mean, this is the guy who's had his life changed. He's planted churches all over the world. If anybody knows Christ already, you think it's Paul, and you think he would be satisfied and say, no, I'm good, I'm there. And yet, no, he says, no, I don't know him yet like I want to. I'm going to give my life, the rest of my life, trying to know him. In the next few verses, he would say, this is what I strive for. I haven't already attained it, but I'm going to keep pressing forward with every sinew, every bone, every muscle fiber in my body. I'm going to move forward trying to love and know and walk with Jesus more. Do you have that kind of tenacity in your faith? Do you have that kind of, that, the kind of umph in, in, in who God is calling you to be, and, and your desire to know him and to walk with him every single day? Do you want to know him personally? Do you want to know him and experience his, the depth and the width and the height and the breadth of his love for you? Do you want to know him intimately? Paul says, I share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And this is where you and I get to know Jesus intimately. It's not always fun, but this is how life works, and this is how God works sometimes, and, and this is where we can truly get to know his heart, is when we suffer with him, becoming like him in his death. See, interests attract. 
And like, I like to do things with other people who have, share the same interests. I like to golf, so if you're a guy that likes to golf, let's go golfing. We're gonna have a lot of fun, right? Like, or maybe your, your thing is basketball and you like to hang out with people who play basketball or, or uh, you like to go shopping and so you, you hang out with other people who like shopping, right? Like, we, we share interests with people and that attracts us to other people, but suffering bonds people together. And I know this is true and you, and you know this is true. We enjoy those we share interests with. We are devoted to those who we have suffered alongside of. One of the greatest gifts of shared suffering is the intimacy it allows you to have with the other person. I think about the time, it's been 11 or 12 years now, but my, my grandfather passed away. He had a leukemia and uh, he, he, he passed away. It was a very hard, difficult, long death as he basically drowned in his, in his own fluids in his bed and, and wasted away for about two months, two and a half months of time. I was in college at the time and, and I got to fly home and my professors gave me some time to be there with the family and it was one of the hardest, saddest times of my life. And yet at the same time, we found joy in those moments. We made memories. We laughed. We talked. We grieved together. We walked through that scenario, losing someone we all desperately loved, but coming out on the other side better because of it. A better family. Loving each other more. Having shared an experience that was hard, it was difficult, and nothing that any of, any of us should ever want anybody to go through, and yet, it bonded us together in a way that we will never forget. So when you and I walk through the difficulties of life, understand, know, that Hebrews tells us that, that we have a Savior in Jesus who has experienced life as we have. Every temptation, every fear, every, every difficult moment that we could ever go through, Jesus doesn't just love you through it, he understands you through it, and he walks with you through it. Only in Christianity, only in following Jesus, can even our suffering and our death become tools in the hand of God to make our lives better and more full of confidence and joy. I mean, what an incredible God that we serve. So how are confidence and joy related? Well, in both, Christ is the object of our confidence and our joy. We experience joy because we found the one our soul longs for. You may be looking for a lot of things in life and you may be looking for them in all the wrong places and you're coming up empty because you have not yet looked for them in the person of Jesus Christ. And I just wanna tell you that all of your deepest longings and desires are met in the person of Jesus Christ. We are confident because we know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering. There's a Zen proverb I heard lately in Zen. I mean, it's not Christianity or anything like that, but I thought it was a good statement. And it's the obstacle is the path. The obstacle is the path. We're always asking God to move the obstacles out of the way, and yet somehow God uses the obstacles in our lives to make our lives better, to build our character, to help us to depend on him, lean on him, trust him more. And so I just wanna ask you, how much do you trust him? Nothing can separate us from God in Christ. And that means nothing can separate us from where God is taking us. Is your God bigger than your biggest obstacles? Is he bigger than your greatest insecurity? Is he bigger than your deepest shame? Philippians chapter three, verse 11 says this. Um, Paul finishes his statement saying that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul here has an eternal perspective that changes the way he views every moment in life. And I just wanna ask you today, 
Has your perspective on life this week been a week perspective, a day perspective, a moment-by-moment perspective? Or have you been walking through your daily life with an eternal perspective, asking God, God, what are you doing in this moment? What are you building? What are you creating? How are you using me? What are the opportunities I have to serve you and love you and give my life away this week? Our confidence gives us joy because we know that we will, where we will eventually end up. And as we end, um, I, I, just, I just want to point out that we have confidence in Jesus, but we have confidence in, in just a few different things that he's done. He, we have confidence in what Jesus has done and in what he is doing and in what he will do. What has Jesus done? He has died on the cross. He rose again to save you and I from our sins, from the penalty and the condemnation of death to give us a life we never deserved. What is he doing? He's making our lives better. He's, he's changing us. He's shaping us. He's molding us into the masterpiece, the people that he wants us to be. What will he do? He will come back again, and he will take us home, and he will bring us into his perfect family. He will wipe away every tear from our eye. He will wrap all of history up with this nice little bow and say, hey, I know it didn't make any sense in the middle, but now that you look back, look at what I've done. Look at the story I've written with your life. One of our core values in the church we're planting at Mercy Hill is progress over perfection. None of us are perfect. We don't have it all together. Hopefully we reach some people and, and uh, you know, invite them into this, this walk uh, of faith, this journey that we are on and following Jesus. And yet we understand that, that none of us are perfect. And we're going to have some, some really messed up people walk through the doors. You want to know why? Because there's a really messed up guy starting the church, right? So that's the, just the people I'm going to reach. And uh, what, as we plant this church, we want people to understand. And if I could leave you with anything, I would want you to understand that, that God is not trying to paint a perfect picture with your life. He's trying to write a bigger story. So would you just give him the pen? Would you let him write a bigger story with your life? Would you pray with me for just, just a moment as, as we wrap up? And I, and I just want to ask God to help us all walk out of here today better. Not, not, not better because that's the goal, but better because we have more of him. We've experienced his love, his grace, his mercy in our lives. So God, would you do that today? Would you help us to walk with you, to trust you, to do it in a way, God, that that doesn't just make our lives better and and make us better at life, but God, in a way that helps us help other people in their time of need and point them to the Savior that has changed us. Would you help us to trust you, maybe even today for the very first time, to say, I need a Savior, I need help, I need God, I need you in my life, God. And and may we admit and know that as broken as we are and as much as we don't have anything figured out, may we have confidence in you, not because of anything about us, but because of what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. May we trust that, may we know that, may we believe it, and may we capture just a little bit of the heart that you gave Paul to say, we want to know you. We want to experience you. We want to know you intimately, God, and walk with you more and more every single day. Will we believe that today? And on this day, may we say, I'm gonna do everything I can to give God everything I am, everything I have, everything I've done, and trust that you, Lord, will do something with it as you see fit. May our confidence in you lead to a joy that when the world looks at us, They don't see crazy comments online. They see people who are marked by the grace of God. And it shows through the smiles on our face and the way we live generously and give our lives away. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. 
We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at